Previously on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That was the morning that Jose had come into Sanctuary at the church. What I remember most about that day was the, the feeling of satisfaction that whatever was unfolding, it felt like we were doing the right thing. I mean, I would like people to be more aware, you know. Um, they read stuff or they hear stuff and they believe it and they've never talked to an asylum seeker. They've never talked to a refugee. They don't know what that life is like, what, how much they struggle. Right now, there's a lot of like social currency in hating politics and hating new ones. I don't know how we message them, because if we're trading in the currency of nuanced conversation, that's actually potentially working against us. Week by week, we're telling this story of sanctuary in downtown Seattle through the voices of the people involved. Here with Pastor Joanne. Thank you for coming out and nice joining to be here us. Again. Uh, and thank you for bringing some friends along today. I'm very glad to have them here and expand our conversation. So I think what we want today's conversation to focus around was the experience at the gathering in Milwaukee. Is that? That's right. It yeah. Was in Milwaukee? Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the churchwide assembly. One of the things that I followed along from afar on Facebook Live or some of the videos that you were posting was Sanctuary taking a big part of the overall conversation and even the opportunity to walk down to the NCIS building. Am I saying that correctly? Not NCIS. That would <laughs> That's be, TV. That would be a television. <laughs> USCIS building. USCIS. Yes. Oh, my goodness. What's with all these acronyms? I'm not good at them. Yeah, I think NCIS is a real thing, too, though, so it's, it's okay. But we were at the USCIS building. Yeah, one of the things that Churchwide Assembly does, because it's um, a legislative body for the church and it it um, takes positions and stands on uh, particular issues, is that they also gather in the evenings for what they call hearings. And it's not altogether different from government process. Uh, individuals are invited in to speak to particular concerns uh, that will be raised so that we can go deeper with people. And I was there for one of the hearings on Sanctuary and the Amparo Network and talked about the story of Jose and his family. And the story of Pastor Betty, of course, was uh, part of that area itself. Sure. And uh, we were able to discuss with, I don't know, several hundred people who came to the hearing more detail of our story and our experience with Jose Mm in sanctuary as a congregation extending this welcome in a particular way with a network of people supporting us. That's great. So I have a couple questions for you. One, I'm kind of interested. So I have a feeling that today's episode is going to be a little more Lutheran than some of our past episodes. And uh, <laughs> get a couple I, of pastors in there. Yeah. Add a bishop. Add a bishop. It's you got a, a full house, right? So but I don't think we have a very large Lutheran audience, actually. So this will be interesting. So the Sanctuary Network itself is interfaith, right? Correct. So you work with people from all kinds of different uh, faith backgrounds and uh, things. And no faith background. And no faith background. We don't have a restriction on it. We have about a dozen 
communities of faith who've made commitments to be in this together, but many, many more people who are working out of their own just desire and their sense of humanity. Which is welcomed. Totally. That's great. I'm interested in the experience. So you, you leave Seattle and that, that uh, network, and then you go to meet up with uh, your uh, colleagues, looking at it from an outside perspective as I followed along on the little updates or videos you posted, I found it kind of inspiring and neat to see that, well, there's, there's a lot of people from the, uh, you know, the church that are excited about this issue and getting involved. I think two things that really struck me about the event uh, as it unfolded. The first one was that I was just a regular person and I didn't have any responsibility to make sure I was in a particular place or anything else yeah. so I could have fun and take pictures and talk to people. My experience was uh, walking up to folks and just saying, tell me why you're here. What do you think about sanctuary? And listening to the many, many different perspectives on it. I didn't run into anybody who actually had experience uh, in such a way that we have at Gethsemane hosting someone, but people who are very uh, deeply committed to these values and the long-term approach of saying we need to make differences in the lives of individuals as best we're able to respond. The other thing that I saw so profoundly in, in the moment, especially at the hearing, was listening to people um, start to get it. Like, hmm. they came in, I think, with a lot of questions. Like, what is this thing? Yeah. And they listened uh, to the first speaker, who was the magnificent uh, executive director, CEO of Lutheran Immigration Refugee Service. And she, she named what's so important to all of us, that this is what we do as Lutherans. Yep. She herself is not Lutheran, uh, and we delight in that, actually. She is, however... Uh, a refugee. Mm -hmm. And so she broadens our story in many different ways. And I hope someday we can have Krish on the, on the podcast if we can arrange that, because I think she helps us frame the discussion in ways that are really important for people of all kinds of backgrounds. Right. And, and at the end of the hearing, I, my favorite moment was when a young voting member uh, from Montana came up to me and we have badges. So I knew where he was from and stuff. And I will admit I might've gotten a little stiff and nervous and thinking, well, what's he going to ask? And sure. And he said, wow, this just makes everything come alive for me. And I'm so excited. And, and ding went the hope. Wow. And the next day, uh, it was brought to the floor and we debated and, and passed it, and then we marched. And what a beautiful image, right, for the church as a body to say, you don't have to be in this belief system that we have. You don't have to share all these things, but you, you have the opportunity to walk alongside us and we to walk alongside others and, and learn about what we can do when we care for each other. That's beautiful. Let's, uh, let's get to our conversation. Excellent. I am uh, Reverend Priscilla Paris Austin. I'm a pastor over at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. We're just down the street from Gethsemane. 
Uh, we describe ourselves as an open and affirming, reconciling in Christ congregation who aspires to be anti-racist because we recognize that that is a journey, not a destination, and living out our call to be a sanctuary for all. I am Bishop Shelley Bryan Wee. I of the Northwest Washington Synod of the ELCA. I have been bishop for 27 days, so um, take that as you will. And I'm Anna Zarnick Meyer. I use she, her, and her pronouns. And I'm a member at Gethsemane Lutheran in downtown Seattle. And I also was a voting member at Churchwide Assembly. And I am a seminarian uh, in the candidacy process through the ELCA in the Northwest Washington Synod. And I also get to be a song leader and chant leader with the Sanctuary Network. We're, we're here and gathered for this conversation because I believe all of you were at the National Church Assembly. Correct. Yes, Maybe yes. Bishop Shelley can help me understand how to describe that. The Churchwide Assembly meets uh, triannually. So every three years, we have um, people from all of the different synods and congregations of the ELCA meet together to worship and sing and pray and be in community together and do the business of the church, which um, is voting for certain things and um, having resolutions brought before us and um, have discussions that maybe we wouldn't be able to have um, in our own congregations or in or in the synod. So so we all come together. There are 65 synods in the ELCA and thousands of congregations, the number of which I don't know, but um, um, we all come together. There are uh, voting members that come. All of the bishops are there. Um, diff- uh, pastors, deacons, lay people all come together to um, to be the church together. So I was there as a visitor. Um, And so uh, I was there presenting a different um, document for um, for consideration for the assembly. But um, so for me, I'm sitting on the outside watching what was going on. And what I saw happening was this um, this document came forward, uh, presented by um, a part of the church that is referred to as Amparo. It is the uh, it's the network. It's the. initiative initiative i think is the word best word to use that um that accompanies minor migrant children and it's a um a set of policies and um practices that churches can can follow or are invited to participate in to accompany um migrant children um who come into this country and congregations can buy into that and participate in that in any way shape or form and that was the document that was coming forward, and someone amended it. And the amendment was to be a sanctuary church. Yes. And from my knowledge, I talked to the person afterwards. It was from, I think, the Metro New York Synod, right. which is a rockin' synod. And so for those of you who don't know who are listening, a synod is... Like, I think the equivalent in the Catholic Church would be like a diocese. It's like an area. It's how our church is split up into different areas. And um, this individual from that synod, who's now quoted all over and in Washington Post, (laughs) um, said that they felt inspired at the synod assembly to add this amendment. Churchwide assembly. Thank you. The churchwide said that they felt inspired at the churchwide assembly to add this amendment to. Um, what we call memorials, which are voted on. 
And so there was a general memorial, which Pastor Priscilla mentioned that was progressive and was affirming of the Amparo strategy and had a lot of good content. And this kind of was, a, at least was a surprise for me, unless I, there was anything that I didn't know, that it was added, well, why don't we go a step further than that? Why don't we add, as I've heard Pastor Priscilla say, why don't we add some teeth to this? Mm-hmm. And it felt really powerful that that was offered because the uh, strategy, the document that Pastor Priscilla was referring to is the strategy for authentic diversity, which is a way to add some teeth and some action to the church's social statements about what we believe about diversity and race and that sort of thing. So to have, and that was approved. So Mm -hmm. Pastor Priscilla was one of several 18. 18 people of color who crafted that. And then we could also immediately approve this church body commitment, right. um, which felt at least to me like, okay, here's where the rubber hits the road. Like we've said, we're going to approve this. I can't remember if it was approved before. Or it, after. Was before. It, it was before. before. It was before. It was before. So we approved this strategy for authentic diversity. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Oh, Sanctuary I, was yes. first. Sanctuary and then was first. Diversity. Yeah. And so that felt really important for me to mention because the just to say that this sanctuary commitment, it comes also at a time when the U- the ELCA is making other commitments that are about diversity, about welcome, and about, okay, well, here's what we said in our social statements. Now, how do we do the praxis, the gospel praxis? Mm-hmm. And that felt really rich to me. Yeah. And, and I want to uh, go back to also to say that the person who brought the um, amendment of sanctuary forward was a lay person, right. was, was not a pastor and was not a bishop. <clears throat> and uh, one of the critiques or one of criticisms that I've heard since then where I've received some emails and, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as a bishop, um, that it was coming from on high, that on high, we want to declare that we're a sanctuary church. No, it came from the people. It was from the people. And I truly, I mean, when I was there, and and I thought the document was great, how it was written, but adding the word sanctuary, it was a Holy Spirit moment. Yes. When that was added, you could feel the mood of the of the whole body who was there change. Right. And really, it's it's really Christ's body, right? And and as it changed, and as as conversation happened and discussion, and there was some pro and some con, but it was all adding to who are we? Who are we called to be? Right. And and it. It was and and it came from the body of of the the uh, church and and truly Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I think it was um, interesting. Again, sitting on the outside, it was interesting. And then I also had the um, the benefit of my son was a voting member, um, so he's sixteen, and um, sitting in this church business meeting, which is not at all his favorite thing to do. There were all kinds of other reasons why he was there, incentives that uh, we made sure that he would do this. But he um, he had interesting insights on it as well, right? As he yeah. as he sat and he listened and, and heard what people were saying, you know, um, I would I would debrief with him at the end of the day and I'd say, so, you know, what do you think? How do you think that that went? And he'd be like, yeah, you know, sometimes people just like to hear themselves talk, <laughs> right? But seriously, mom, you know, like we passed it at 98%. Come on. Like, why are we upset about this? This is total agreement. Like, that's not, it's not a big deal. And it was, 
it was interesting being, like I said, on the outside, kind of watching the debate happen and and knowing that my my document about strategic authentic diversity was coming later and I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? What's happening? Are people going to, oh, where's the church? What is the church thinking? What are people saying? You know, and and he sitting there in the midst of it was just like, yeah, no, this is all good. No problem. This is going to be fine. He was chill. He was, he chill. was totally chill. About it. Totally yeah. chill. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but to tie this back into the the story we've been telling at Gethsemane, Christopher, the person who uh, moved this amendment to the original piece, was present at Gethsemane when they were deliberating. Uh, I I was not aware of that. I didn't know that either. That's Mm -hmm. right. I heard that from our pastor, uh, Pastor Joanne Enquist, um, that that was true. And so it's just a really great example of a case study of what is possible when, you know, people have said, well, it doesn't mean anything for for them to just say the words of this. And it's true. We have to walk the walk. We can't mm-hmm. just talk the talk. But what it allows is for people to, you know, some people do come to the church via reading social our social statements, right. via reading in the Washington Post that we're a sanctuary body. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to say as a sanctuary church at Gethsemane and really we know it's actually a network. It's not just Gethsemane that's doing this. It's right. we do have support from Emmanuel, where mm-hmm. Pastor Priscilla is. We do have support from our synod, where Bishop Shelley is, and um, the Seattle Sanctuary Network. But it's one way of saying this is what's possible when we have support behind this. And one thing, just to speak to what Bishop Shelley said about <clears throat> something coming from the grassroots, one of my favorite moments of the whole synod assembly was... Um, during the deliberation about becoming a sanctuary denomination, a young person, so we have a certain required percentage of young voting members, like I think 14 to 30 or 16 to 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And a young person, I think- 16 to 30 years old. 16 to 30 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think she was from one of the Dakotas and she was speaking in favor of becoming a sanctuary church body. And she said, you know, it's going to look really different in- my home congregation in the Dakotas, then it's going to look at a border congregation. Mm -hmm. And I know that. And I mean, you can go back and see this live. You can go see it live streamed, but my memory is her saying, and this will encourage us to be sanctuary in whatever iteration is necessary in our context, in our community. And that is, that's just a strength of, I think, Lutheranism and Lutheran theology in general. Like, you know, Luther translated the Bible to be, available to the people in the space that he was in, you know, doing the thing that's required and needed in the context you're in. That's ancient. That's something that we know how to do because of our theological grounding and because of Luther. And so for her to say that as a young member, again, it wasn't like, like Bishop Shelley said, it wasn't all bishops and pastors that were saying, we want this. It was this young teenager who was saying, I'm in the Dakotas. I want this because then we can say, yes, we'll, we'll provide sanctuary in this way. We'll provide resources in this way. That to me was one of the most compelling stories because mm-hmm. she got it. Right. She understood what could be possible depending on context. And it's going to look really different in our Northwest Washington Synod than it will look in New York City mm-hmm. or in a Texas. Right. Um, right. But there's space for it. And we're church together doing it. Yes. Right. Um, one of the th- uh, quotes that I read was, was we aren't doing... A criticism was, um, 
Well, well, why would we want to to have sanctuary for these people? They're not Lutheran. Mm. And an answer, <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow, I know. And an answer to that is, well, we're not doing it because they are Lutheran. We're doing this because we, we are. are Lutheran, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who we are at the roots of who we are is to provide sanctuary. Right, right. I mean, and it's also the, the contextual piece, right? It it speaks to even just the difference between how Gethsemane and Emmanuel embody sanctuary. Um, I remember when we were getting ready to receive Jose, um, there was a lot of conversation about where he would be, where that might, what the, who would be, who would be receiving him. And Emmanuel, um, jo- Pastor Joanne and I were in conversation with uh, the folks over at the um, Church Council of Greater Seattle, um, you know, to see, you know, we're, we're both located close to down to the courthouse and, you know, what would that look like? And, and I had to say, you know, it's like, look, we are like, as a congregation, we are all in. We are all in in any way that we can. We have a food bank. We will provide food. We have uh, nurses on our, in, our, in our congregation who, who will show up. We have, um, we have resources and, and all kinds of things. But here's the thing. We house 15 men in recovery. We're already a sanctuary for them. We're Amen. Not, we're not going right, right. to we're not going to be able to physically receive um, someone who needs sanctuary because our doors are constantly open. They won't actually be safe in our building, right? They won't be able to to have privacy and 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 the sanctuary build, person. The, the, sanctu- the men the in your space are the very safe, right? The men in our in our in our building are very safe, and and when we close the doors for them for it to be their home, it's it's perfectly safe. But, but, you know, we have folks who come through for a community meal, for food bank, you know, there's a hygiene center, all kinds of things. A person could not live there 24-7 in our building. And so what sanctuary looks like for us is the work that we're already doing, but also the partnership that we share with Gethsemane, right? right. And the, the opportunities that we have, um, there was a... There's a gentleman, um, a member of our congregation who, who was working for Amazon as things were getting set up. And he was super excited. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to be a part of this? How are we going to do this? And he was like, oh, they need they need cable TV. They need to have cable TV set up. You know, I, I can be the one who sets up the cable TV. Oh. And he was like coming down, like, tell me when to be there so I can set up cable TV for the person who's going to be in sanctuary. Right. Like that's that was like one of the ways that we were able to participate like that's. Time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure, right? You know, and it's, and that's not something that everybody could do. That's not something that everybody did. And it looks different for our congregation. Sure. Yeah. And, and to, to go with that, with this person from Amazon, who I assume is not a part of Emmanuel. He, he, he was at the time, and he's now moved on to another okay. place, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people who have become involved, both at Gethsemane, Emmanuel, and mm-hmm. other places, who never would be involved otherwise right. um, with our um, churches. Um, but this opens their eyes to say, this is what church can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first email that I received from... Um, anybody uh, after we had the sanctuary vote was from another denomination in the city mm. who is a more conservative denomination. And this person sent me an email and said, 
how can we become an ELCA congregation? Whoa. Because you are doing (laughs) amazing things and we want to be with you. That is awesome. Yeah. Shivers over here in the studio. Yeah. So, so the people who are saying, oh, people are going to leave or it's like, well, maybe, but We have all these people who are coming in, who who are seeing that we are we are here for the world. We're here. Uh, how do you share the gospel? How do you share the good news of Jesus if right. if we if we are, don't have boots on the ground? If right. we're not doing something. Okay, so I have some questions uh, mm-hmm. along this line. So the church is the church for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And part of what we're called to do is to be peacekeepers and bring people together. At the same time, we have a higher calling, and uh, you have to be true to that. So how do you walk that that line? You know, it, it's so interesting that you asked that, because I was listening to a podcast just a couple days ago, and it's the podcast with uh, Lenny Duncan and Jason Chestnut. Chestnut. And, um, and they were kind of complaining a little bit about the bishops mm. who— um, because many of us sent out a statement about what sanctuary means. Mm-hmm. And part of that statement says, um, we are not asking congregations to do anything illegal. This is, and what sanctuary means in your particular place might be different than what it means in another place. Um, Jason and Lenny were both saying, yeah, these bishops, they, you know, they're trying to to make this all sound peaceful and nice, and we're mm-hmm. here to agitate and move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, we need both those voices, right? We need we mm-hmm. need both that. We need a both and. We need we need people to convene and to be peacemakers and to come together and say we need conversation, but we also need the prophets. We also need the agitators. We also mm-hmm. need the people who say what is possible in this world. And so I mean, I'm, I actually am sad if people leave because I think they're not hearing the gospel of what, of, or opening themselves up to what this might mean. And, and I want the umbrella to be big enough or the, the network or, or the, the body to be big enough for, for all people to, to be able to be in conversation and to, because we are all here together. We are all children of God. And so, so it makes me sad if someone feels that, um, that something was was too radical or or exclusive of them, um, and so they leave because that then I worry about well where are they going and mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to them. So it 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 it's concerning to me. So so I I I think that that all voices need to be heard, but I also think that in the end we have to look at scripture and what is it that God calls us to be and 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 who we are and all through the scriptures. I mean, everywhere it says to, to honor the, the stranger, to be hospitable to the one who's not of your land to, um, I mean, it is there over and over and over. And, and so, so it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of politics. It's not a matter of, you know, what, who you're voting for. It's, it's our faith. This is, and, and, and the holy book that we hold up. I think also you have to keep in mind that um, Jesus also says that uh, the peace that he brings is peace with the sword, right? It is, um, it is not um, peace 
It is a piece that divides us. It is a piece that causes us to have to take a stand. It is a piece that will put um, mother against mother, uh, daughter and mother-in-law against uh, in-laws against each other. And uh, it will divide a household three and two, right? Um, when I preached on this just a couple weeks back, we talked about that. And I talked about the fact that, you know, it is um, the peace that Jesus calls us to is not, um, is not quietism, Right. Um, simply not making a stink over everything and... Um, it's not being apathetic. Apath- yes, apathetic and um, just letting things happen is not actually peace. There is no peace if there is no justice, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and, and Jesus is really clear about that, right? And so when, um, you know, I have mixed feelings as well when folks leave, right? That, you know, that there is... Um, you know that they're that they're losing out on the opportunity to to love large enough to welcome others right, right. right? but at the same time um i'm in this in our own journey to to be anti-racist and to live as a sanctuary for all one of the things that we talk about in our building is you know everybody is welcome as long as everybody is safe and you can come in, and as soon as your behavior begins to manifest in a way that is a danger or a hazard to somebody else, whether that is someone who um, whose medication is is not functioning properly and is somehow disoriented, or whether that is someone who is using hate speech, um, you need to leave. And you will be asked to leave until you change that behavior. You will always be welcome back. But that particular behavior is not acceptable, a behavior that makes people unsafe. As a woman of color in, in the widest denomination in this, uh, in this country, who has uh, children who have grown up in this church, um, I am particularly uh, attuned to the fact that not everybody um, can say anything that they want and my children be safe. Sure. It's, uh, I appreciate that you brought that up. The place where I get torn on all of this is obviously you have a line and you very eloquently said where the line certainly is. Mm -hmm. But just inside of that line, we have a whole lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I wonder that maybe people miss sometimes is that the reason we're able to be here and become, uh, sanctuary church and things like that is because of a lot of sacrifice by a lot of people who have helped build the church mm-hmm. and and bring us along to where we are today. And so it's I think it's important to still reach our people mm-hmm. um, and honor that. But it's tricky, right? I, I think it's I, I hear what you're what you're saying and I think that we go back to um, besides the people who were either living here in the United States or the people who were forcibly brought to the United States. We are an immigrant church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have always been uh, open to the immigrant. Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services has been around since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and they brought in refugee, they have helped refugees and immigrants for for. As long years. as we've been around, yeah. mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and I think of this the statistic that I've read that that at the end of World War II, one in six Lutherans were refugees. Right. One in six. And so we have always welcomed um, the person without a home. And so um, so so again, I don't think this is this this should not be a political issue. I know it becomes one. I know that a news service put out incorrect information about what it is that we um, that we passed, but but really this is this is at the core of who we are as a church that we welcome the refugee, we welcome the immigrant, and. And again, what that means in our particular areas might be different. Mm-hmm. It might be that one congregation is not ready to be a sanctuary, you know, to, to welcome someone to live in their space, whether because it's unsafe or because they they don't want to break the law or whatever it is that they don't want to do. But but to provide food or clothing or um, you know all of the other ways that that you can be um, a sanctuary church. There's mm-hmm. there's many many ways, and so mm-hmm. I would hope that um, that this that this circle is is big enough for us to have this conversation to not feel that. I mean that's that's the biggest concern that I've heard is that well we're going to break the law. Well, well maybe not where you are. Maybe what you want to do is right. this. You right. know, there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to to engage in be in sanctuary work that is totally legal. There are, there are foster children who are refugees um, who are languishing in group homes or looking for some place to be that need, need care and uh, attention. There's all kinds of ways. And we're, we're, we're a, we're a denomination. We're a, a as a pan Lutheran um, organization, Lutherans service one in five of all the people who are receiving any kind of social service in this country are serviced right. by Lutheran That's social right. services right. or Lutheran, Lutheran immigration and refugee services. Like we as Lutherans serve and care for people. That's all the Lutherans. That's not just yeah. the that's ELCA. Not just, that's not just the yeah. ELCA, right? Yeah. Like that's all, that's who, that's what it is to be Lutheran is to serve and to care and to, to, to take care of people and to, to be there for people. Like that's our baptismal mm-hmm. calling. Well, and just to expand upon that, um, I think that this was a question throughout the time that Gethsemane was looking at becoming a sanctuary congregation. And they did work with lawyers um, throughout that process. Um, Both, it was a decision of the congregation, and they did it with a lot of legal, very keen legal minds. And um, I remember Pastor Joanne just reiterating to me as I asked questions about it, because I was there, you know, on the first day that Jose came into sanctuary, um, when there were threats of ICE coming in, coming into the congregation. And I remember hearing Pastor Joanne say, it actually is not illegal to host sanctuary guests. And I think that's an important thing. That's kind of point A, um, according to the laws of our land, that it's not illegal to host sanctuary guests. But the point B of that, that I just want to clarify, at least I'll just speak for myself related to why I'm choosing to go into candidacy, which for those of you who are listening means the process to become ordained in the church, is because I've committed to a different law, which is the law of the gospel. And so I am called by the law of the gospel to do what the Bible mm-hmm. and what Jesus calls us to do. Um, yes, to, to welcome the sanctuary, to welcome the stranger. I mean, our text for last Sunday was um, of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, which was against 
law against mm-hmm. code at that time. And Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Um, and I'm Lutheran for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons is because Luther broke the laws of his own order. And Luther himself, this is the thing I think people forget, Luther himself was a refugee from his from from the Catholic Church. I mean, he mm-hmm. was at a monastery in hiding. Mm-hmm. This is the person who didn't mean to, but did found our denomination. So this is not new. We're following the in the footsteps and the movement of Jesus. Yes, but also in our denomination, this makes complete sense. Right. Um, you know, Luther wasn't great on everything. He wasn't, you know, perfect on gender. He wasn't great on, he was an anti-Semite, you know, right. those sorts of things. And also he did provide a really clear, unapologetic example of what it means to follow the gospel law, follow the gospel truth. And that prophetic history is why I want to be in this denomination in particular. And you can hear from the tone of my voice listeners that I feel really strongly about this. Um, And I love the image of Luther pounding the 95 theses onto the door of Wittenberg church um, to say, this is, this is really what we believe. This is where the rubber hits the road. And it felt so powerful to me um, to be at churchwide assembly where the assembly, about 750 people, which is three-fourths of the assembly, marched from our conference center to USCIS or the Mm -hmm. ISIS headquarters and put the 9.5, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of joke, but the Greater Milwaukee Synod had crafted the 9.5 theses as they relate to immigration and posted them on the door of USCIS. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's essential for us to, A, really interrogate um, our our country's legal system to say, well, is this what we're doing actually illegal? Because that's a fear of people. And then B, on the other conversation is, who do we say our God is? And who do we say that we are as Christians that follows a Christ that was not popular in his time and was breaking rules left and right because of his prophetic gospel. And so that's a clarification I think is essential, um, that people get stuck in the weeds of the day-to-day thing. Um, and I, I actually, that's one thing I said on the floor as the discussion was taking place at Churchwide. And I would say, I, I echo Shelley and, uh, excuse me, I echo uh, Bishop Shelley in saying that it's important for us to be able to have that discussion. This is another hallmark of Lutheranism that we say, what does this mean? And we grapple with issues in community. As hard as it was for me to hear people speak against it at the mic, I thought to myself, actually, well, this is still very Lutheran. to be grappling about this. Um, But what I said at the mic was, you know, when you had Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany watching the Jews become, um, you know, incinerated, he said, our job is not to bandage the wounds of those who've been crushed by the wheels of injustice. Our goal is to jam a spoke in that wheel Mm -hmm. of injustice. We don't just say, we're going to provide food and beds uh, for people who have been affected by by systemic oppression or change we say no we're gonna we're gonna cut it off of it at its source mm-hmm. and we're gonna prevent that injustice and hurt from happening and so you know I'm of a certain camp and I'm a young whippersnapper like passionate seminarian <laughs> but the thing is the thing is that all of what like I'm saying the uh, decrepit old right well, no, no but know. but I and I I know that people have that critique sometimes but what I want to counter with or just push on is all of those things are things that I've learned in 
moderate to conservative congregations learning church history. Like I grew up in Wisconsin um, and we had a Reformation Sunday and it's a Sunday that I loved because I got to learn about the prophetic history and lineage of our church. And so, you know, these conclusions are coming out of a common theology that we share. Um, So that's what I would just want to clarify related to people who ask a question about legality. Yeah, this is all good conversation. I enjoy this conversation. It, uh, I think that it's wild to me that we're having this conversation and it's, you know, it's so heavy, you know, like this should be a much simpler conversation. Like how do we uh, support people like Jose when they're Mm -hmm. in the country? How do we make this easier for them? Mm -hmm. How do we make this work? Um, but right. that's not the times we're living in today. Mm-hmm. And so a part of this is, you mentioned Wisconsin. We also have a lot of Lutherans in Minnesota. Right. And if we want radical change in 2020, which we need to get this conversation back to where it needs to be, not this crazy point where it's at right now, we have to win. Mm-hmm. And to win, we have to learn to connect and talk with those people. That's These true. are our people. That's this right. is this they is are. my yes. problem. Yes. Right. And that's yes. why it's important to me and I absolutely like I can't put myself in the place or understand what it's like to be a person of color in these situations or times. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I feel so much responsibility for these damned white people who are messing things up. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to learn how to talk to them and that's why why I ask these questions. Yeah. And I think that that's a that's an important part of it. Yeah. The older I get, the less I want to be right and the more I want to win. well you know and i think also it's um it's so the thing that we all want is to be heard right right and uh and honestly like you're you're raising a good point right that like we have to find ways to talk to folks who are who are from the heartland who are from you know the places that um where fear has stoked the fires of, of religion and faith, mm-hmm. right? Um, another great book refer- referral right now is um, Rosella Heidi White's uh, Love Big. And, and she talks about fear that, um, and, and fear and faith, you know, our faith calls us to love. Our faith calls us to dream about the impossible, to, to be in relationship with this God who loves us so tremendously and so beautifully and so much that God wants us to have an abundantly diverse set of relationships that begin to open up our minds to the vastness and mysterious largesse of who God is. Yeah. And we get stuck and, and this is not just, you know, this is not just folks who are on the conservative end, but this is the progressive end. This right. is all the spectrum in between. Right. We get right. stuck in our perspective, yep. in our viewpoint, in our way of being, that, that we forget to see the beautiful humanity that God created in the other. Amen. Amen. And, that, and that if we can actually find ways to stop being afraid of each other and actually listen to each other and create spaces where we are all safe. Like, wow. Places of belonging. Of belonging, of, of, of places where 
places where we are all heard. Yes. Right? We don't have to agree. We don't have to agree on, on, on the practicalities and the nuances of the, of, of, the, of the particulars of the policy, but we need to agree that we're all human. And if we, if we can get there, then, then yes, it becomes a simple conversation. Sanctuary in Downtown Seattle is produced by Seekers Northwest, along with the Church Council of Greater Seattle.